All right, hey, welcome back to another exciting episode of Spellstorm Miniatures. My name is Jeremiah. I'm Dan. And I'm Chad. And we are a podcast dedicated to miniature war games, including War Machine and Hordes uh, by Privateer Press. Our goal here is just to inspire you to play more games. Uh, but today we have a very special topic. And uh, just recently, uh, Privateer Press completed the Kickstarter for uh, Iron Kingdom's Requiem, which is their, their setting for uh, fifth edition of the world's most famous RPG game. And so we uh, we invited one of our locals, Perry, on. Perry is an awesome gamer. He has uh, a long history of playing role-playing games, including the old IKRPG. And uh, he also happens to be one of the patron supporters of our podcast, which is cool. And so we're excited to have him on. Perry, tell everyone hello. Hello. It's really great to be here and uh, talking with you guys. It's been a while uh, quarantining, so it feels good to <laughs> talk with my, my friends. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I'm so happy to see your face. I know that our podcast listeners, they, they get us in the audio format, but I'm seeing your face on the screen and it brings me joy. I know. We used to <laughs> hang out every week and uh, now I only I only see Chad when I need to pop into the store to get paint real yeah. fast. Yeah, I think I see all three of you more than you guys have seen each other. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Chad's the one link. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's just the uh, crack dealer, you know, plastic yeah. and paint. <laughs> exactly. That is true. He's the plastic pusher. Plastic cardboard. So. I got everything. <laughs> uh, times have been tough, so I've had to up my dosage. You know, gotta yeah. go in. <laughs> gotta get that gotta hit. Branch, branch out into other games. <laughs> it's true. It's oh. true. Don't tell me about that. Anyway, <laughs> hey, speaking of games, uh, have have any of you got a chance to get into games in since our last recording? Not a boring life over yeah. here. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I got one game of Warhammer 40k in ninth edition in with one of my coworkers um, last weekend after the store closed. We just played uh, on a Sunday night. Uh, we just did a thousand point army um, incursion size game. Okay. Uh, it did not go very well, unfortunately. Uh, definitely needed some more terrain on the table. Uh, I didn't think about how close together we were because i'm still like i've been collecting 40k stuff for about two and a half years at this point but i've really only gotten like a couple of games in most of my games with gw stuff has actually been um more kill team than larger table and so like i'm still used to war machine where each person has about like a turn turn and a half before you start seeing any combat and I lost the die roll to go first, and my opponent just walked all of his stuff forward and just killed like both of my fifteen man units of poxwalkers and started shooting into some other stuff, and um, and it uh, it felt real bad, didn't feel very good, and uh, yeah. I almost I I put my unit of terminators and one of my HQs into deep strike, and with the number of small units he had. And the size of the board, I almost wasn't able to deploy my Terminators by the time my second turn rolled around with how far he had kind of pushed across the table with his stuff and how little I was able to kill. Wow. So it, uh, yeah, I got my Terminators good. down, did a round of shooting, and then I just called it because I was like, I can't, I don't have enough firepower. 
you're playing salamanders, so you ignore the minus one uh, AP stuff that any of my weapons have. And most of your stuff has like three up saves. Uh, like at least your stuff that I can get to has like three up saves, and I don't have any strong like high powered stuff. It's mostly like bolters um, from what I had on the field that was left. So yeah. didn't go didn't go very well. I'm in the same boat as you. I've been uh, collecting 40k stuff for a long time, and I don't get very many games in either. And uh, and it does feel a little bit different than War Machine when when you actually you know when you get a chance to play. So there's there's probably some some tricks we could probably learn if we get more reps in. Yeah. Well, so. terrain. The the key thing that I keep or that I keep getting told is is more terrain on the table, hide your army. Like, just don't give your opponent any place where they can draw a line to anything substantial on their first turn if you lose the die roll to go first. Is, a, yeah. is the biggest thing that I've, been, that I've been seeing because with the way that the board changed in 9th edition um, and with how, how much smaller it is... Um, if you don't have enough terrain, it's really easy to to get shot at on yeah. your opponent's it's, it's first like, turn. It has like way more attrition than 40k or for War Machine, right? Like yeah. War Machine always felt like a little bit of a dance, like who's going to enter the other person's threat range first, right? And like give something up. Yeah. And 40k is just like immediately bullets flying, and you're you you're like losing morale tests and just. <laughs> All these battle reports I've watched online since I haven't been able to get any games in with this edition, there's just like nothing left at the end of round five on both sides. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I think part of that is probably by design, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, I think part of the game experience is pulling models off the table. Yeah, and as someone who plays guard, I'm constantly pulling models off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're, you're twenty. You're twenty person unit of, of poor conscripts, right? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so, yeah. well, I got I got a couple games in. I got uh, uh, one game of Malifaux and one game of War Machine in. Uh, for Malifaux, uh, I was trying out a new master, uh, Jacob Lynch. He's one of the Ten Thunders masters. And Oz, I thought was going to run a new master against me, but he pulled out Lucius again. And he and Lucius, he's just so efficient with Lucius because that's the one he has the most reps in, and so um, it it didn't look good uh, for me. Uh, thankfully, uh, dinner got called, and uh, and then uh, we didn't go back. Saved to the by, game the <laughs> Saved <laughs> by the dinner bell. Saved by the dinner bell. But and then in the War Machine game, um, I ran Maddox and Storm Division, uh, my first seventy-five point game with Signar. And uh, and Oz is running. Uh, I thought I was going to see uh, trolls again, but he pulls out Thexus again, and and he runs a different style of Thexus list. He spammed six monstrosities, and was and which is like kind of opposite of what Thexus can do. Um, but with the TK, and then on his feet turn, he was able to remove a significant portion of my army enough that I couldn't punch back on the bottom on the top of round three. Um, I had an assassination attempt that left him on like four or five boxes. And then on the top of turn four, um, I had a second attack assassination attempt because um, he did some healing 
um, on, on the bottom of turn three. So on the top of turn four, I tried again and I left him on one box and then, but I went all in at that point and didn't have a recovery. And so, uh, and so he then assassinated me in bottom of four. So, uh, that's just the way it goes. But I mean, Texas, he, he should be assassinatable, but he had all these shield guards because he had like three of those wardens nearby and, you know, and I had to yeah. get indirect damage and I had to do the, and I had to do the lightning thing, the E-leap thing to, to get him, to get to him. And, you know, and I'm only pow 10 on those. So, yeah, uh, you know, that's how it is. So, so I need to get some fireflies in there. And yeah. I mean, Maddox is a good feat. Like, I know. I yeah. Well, and that's the thing on feet turn by the time I, I feed it too late, probably by the time I feed it, I didn't have enough stuff to take advantage of it. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm still, you know, I'm still learning how to, how to run Signar. It feels different. I like it, but it feels different. So, Hey, why don't we get to our main topic, huh? So we brought Perry on to talk about uh, the new Kickstarter, to talk about uh, Requiem, and and also maybe do a little bit of comparing, contrasting with what we know so far of Requiem, and then what we know with IKRPG. And so, uh, Perry, why don't you kick us off and kind of give us a, a history of the game and your experience with IKRPG and and um, and things like that. Why don't you just, why don't you just get it started? Yeah, you got it. Um... I've been playing uh, RPGs since uh, 1982, so long time. <laughs> I uh, definitely put my time in into to Dungeons and Dragons, you know, mostly in the 80s and uh, in the 90s. There was uh, a lot of branching out with all kinds of different games. You know, you had you know Shadowrun kind of came into being and Rifts and um, all these like wonderful different game systems. And a lot of people don't realize Privateer Press before they had uh, wargaming. Uh, made a series of D&D adventures um, that they crafted together for old D&D 3rd edition. And this was the the Witchfire uh, books. And uh, they were uh, very popular. And it kind of kicked off this whole creation of this whole world that was uh, steampunk and was very well received and then ended up kind of turning into a, a, a war game, right, with War Machine and Hordes. So... It's been in the blood of that game since the beginning, which, you know, we're right at about 20 years ago now. Um, I played the very first edition of IK RPG, which was based on third D&D rules uh, while I was in the military, and it was uh, fantastic. So that was, oh, must have been about 16, 17 years ago. And they had some fantastic campaign supplements you had a couple of books. The first Monster Nomicons were a lot of the tabletop models that we have now were actually concepted back in those Monster Nomicons. So you saw a lot of things back then, including Infernals. Um, they took the whole concept of what is a demon in a lot of you know fantasy settings, and they really gave it a unique twist, and they called them Infernals. And it's almost like they combined like this other world Cthulhu kind of thing on top of a classic take on a demon and created a really cool kind of flavor. Uh, a lot of the original Convergence of Cirrus stuff, uh, Scorn was in the second Monster Nomicon and that ended up being 
created into a whole uh, faction inside of hordes. It was all really wonderful. Uh, my friend and I just ate it up. And as War Machine was coming out, I, I never really played Mark One. I, I was off in war zones and jumping out of airplanes and things. Uh, but when I got out of the when I got out of the military, I I had played 40k forever, and then I got into War Machine uh, in Mark Two. And they redid they redid the Iron Kingdoms role playing game. They redid it and unleashed uh, was another supplement they did along with it. So they instead of doing the old third edition D and D rules, they created their own. And I guess there's some debate about whether that was good or bad. <laughs> and uh, I I ran a campaign in that uh, world for quite a long time with a nice. group of my friends that I've known forever. Uh, we've gamed together since uh, the early 90s, and uh, we decided to give it a try. Um, we had a blast, but it, it ran into a lot of problems as our campaign went on. It felt like uh, the game didn't scale very well, even though we had a good time. Um, so we kind of put it to rest, and as D&D 5th came out and has been wildly popular and just... You know, you've got Critical Role going on, and it's just in the mainstream of, of gaming culture right now. And they're producing just excellent quality supplements, and it's really selling, and a lot of people are really getting into it of all. It's very diverse. All kinds of people are getting into D&D, and it's, as someone that's been involved with role-playing since way back when, it's interesting to see uh, the complete 180 on that, where... Uh, it used to be a, a closeted group of, of of nerds or geeks, if you will, that would like play in the basement. Yeah. And now, and now it's just it's so <laughs> it's becoming more and more mainstream. But with that, uh, the fifth edition rules uh, have been very popular, and they have done. Privateer Press has done a Kickstarter to recreate the Iron Kingdom rules for fifth edition Dungeons and Dragons, realigning with the original. How they originally had Iron Kingdoms as being in a in a Dungeons and Dragons world, so I'm excited for that. I think it was the right move, uh, and apparently a lot of people agreed because the Kickstarter went way beyond what I thought they were going to. What did they end oh, up yeah. doing? Five, half a million dollars? Okay. Yeah, I've I got think, it here. No, they're beyond that. I think it's yeah. There's the last number I saw was five backers. <laughs> say say uh, it again, Dan. Say it again. Yeah, yeah, so there's uh, 6,835 backers at $594,119. So, yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, that's, and they, that is and they already have some of it done. They already have some of it done. And they only asked for a hundred grand. And I think that they're going to get a lot out of that money. And I also think it'll help get a lot of people interested in the world of privateer presses, what they've created. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I, I'm running fifth edition game and I uh, play in one and I like the fifth edition rules a lot. And I've played every edition of D&D and I know there's pros and cons, but the, the ease of getting a game going is, is at its best right now. Nice. So that means a group of people can get together and just start rolling dice and having a good time way easier than ever before yeah and i am hopeful that that will translate into the iron kingdoms experience with friends uh because the the previous version 
well, I, it was challenging. Everything was proprietary about it. The way you built your character, the way you played, uh, you know, GMing it was challenging. It had, it had a lot of very specific rules and things. And, um, I, I think that the logistics of getting it up and running were challenging. And now that I'm hoping that's just not going to be the case with the fifth edition rules. So I'm excited. I'm going to craft a campaign and see who locally is interested when this all comes out. So well, uh, I think you've got three players motivated. right here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've definitely had some people uh, contact me about it. So I, it'll be fun. It's going to be exciting. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, so, I'm definitely excited about it. it a lot too that's got me thinking about I haven't done very much DMing in my uh, in my RPG history career which has not been very much but it's gotten me thinking about trying to run it because I do know I've been playing War Machine for over a decade at this point like and I'm familiar I'm more familiar with that lore and that world and things and um, the one small concern that I have is that it is such a rich world um, but I feel like there might be some difficulty with crafting an adventuring party because yeah. the different nations are yeah. so parallel, like they're so dynamically opposed to each other. Like, it's funny you say it's... that. So my, my previous campaign, we, we ran into this exact problem. Uh, a lot of game groups do a, a session zero, right? Where they kind of sit around and talk about what kind of game they want to have and they craft their characters yeah, and when we when we did that for my campaign, we we had a unique approach because we said, well, you can't exactly have an, an elf from IOS being a, a in a mat, suit of man of war armor. Like the 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 place where you come from kind of determines the type of character that you are. So how would you get four or five different people together on a series of quests? And and it's it's hard to say that. So what we did is I, as the game master, created eight characters that had relationships with each other, and I mm -hmm. described them in mysterious terms. And I let my players tell me which one they wanted, and then I revealed them. I gave them the packet, and then it was revealed what their character was, and they had built-in reasons for being together. And that's oh, how we started okay. the campaign. So there was okay. a built-in reason why they were all in a party on a quest. But okay. that took away some of their agency in determining what kind of character they wanted to play, but it, it ended up working uh, out pretty well. So, yeah, I, I agree, Chad. That is a, uh, that is a problem. However, um, for those that followed last year, the Henschold Scrolls, which was the ongoing lore that the company was releasing the new ik rpg uh world is set in the post henchhold scrolls right so the yeah. the infernals the infernals came down and uh wanted to claim their souls and and many people perished and <laughs> nations yeah. were sundered etc so semi or very much post-apocalyptic kind of in yeah. a steampunk mm -hmm. way so yeah, we'll not see what quite, that means. Yeah, yeah, not quite as much as in Riot Quest, where it really is like no holds barred. Right. Uh, I'm interested to see the setup for the world that we're still going to be exploring. Is that I know that nations are going. I don't remember if they've said 
how long after the claiming the IKRPG is supposed to be taking place. I thought they right. said like something like five, seven, or ten years after the claiming, where there were things still in ruins and like nations were still kind of like trying to recuperate. But I like I'm based off of the adversity that all of these nations have gone through through the various wars with each other. I am not. I'm kind of expecting them all to just go back to business as usual as soon as they get done fighting the one like universal foe, they'll just kind of be like, all right, Kador will just go back to, all right, Signar, give us, give us our lands that you stole back from us, like, and pushing borders and stuff everywhere, because that's what Kador does. Like, I just kind of anticipate some of those borders. I think it's an opportunity for some really rich plot lines. Um, There was a similar thing in the forgotten realms. They did uh, the spell plague where a lot of the gods in the forgotten realms got, cast down as mortals and the the magic in this and spells in the world were broken apart and they mm-hmm. they built off that event and so forgotten realms became kind of post-apocalyptic in the DD world and it was a really cool idea that led to a lot of really great adventures and so i can see something similar here where a lot of people died the economy economies were ruined and so now you have you know, maybe people that are left over that have magic or or brawn or or working machinery are taking advantage and bossing other people around, and you have petty bandits and undead yeah. that that are doing whatever they want, and there's no guards patrolling the roads anymore. And so you you know you have all these kinds of interesting things where, where you know it's like dark ages, right? Maybe that kind of a style could be really cool. Like no real functioning governments are helping out the average folk. So maybe yeah. some heroes could, could help with that. I have a few questions for you, Perry. Um, I have a, some specific ones about uh, the, the, some of the spoilers that came out in Requiem. Yeah. But before I get there, I want to kind of speak general. Um, over the last year, I've been getting familiar with the Eberron campaign. Mm-hmm. And and I DM'd a short um, story arc uh, through the summer last year, and then now uh, Chad and I are in the same campaign with with West being our DM. Um, and one of the things that makes Eberron kind of fun is, you know, there's some like steampunky kind of elements there and that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, do you see though? Do you see uh, the world of Iron Kingdoms and Eberron? Do you see them? Um, similar, dissimilar, comp- competitive, or complementary, or like, what do you what do you think about um, wh- what do you think about the field? If someone is more familiar with Eberron, for example, um, and less familiar with Iron Kingdoms, would they would they have the same amount of fun playing in Requiem? I think I think so. I think of Eberron as um, it. it it, and I hate to kind of use the term, but it feels very high fantasy where like a lot of magic is just kind of applied to everyday life, right? Yeah. The, yeah. the fire elemental that powers the the carriage or whatever, right? Um, I think Iron Kingdoms, the, the, the difference there is the, is the mechanica that and magic empowers the machinery that does the work. And uh, I like that concept. That's steampunk to me is is you're not using the magic at magic's face value. You're using it to power machines and other things that are sort of more 
grimy and dark. And so you have your mechanics with your big spanners and trying to fix things and war, you know, war jacks, which is like a big part of um, the baseline of that world is they've created these machines to do things for them. So I would say that, yeah, it, it's very evocative of those kinds of fantastical images, but I think with some differences and Eberron is pretty fun and a lot of people really like Eberron and yeah, it's great. It was born out of here in Portland, Oregon. The creator here created it. So, yes. you know, we can That's all be right. proud of that. <laughs> I think, I think there will be some similarities. I think if someone's not up for your average, you know, D and D adventure, which I tend to think of as just kind of forgotten realms like vanilla D and D Eberron, always piques people's interest well then they would probably also like iron kingdoms because it's got a lot of it's got a lot of those twists right yeah well let me let me uh zero in on what something you just shared um i'm looking at one of the spoilers from the kickstarter it's the table of contents for what i think is the player guide right and um it says it calls them it doesn't call them war jacks it calls them uh steam jacks um, but um, I wanted to ask about that, and and with your with your experience, it feels like if I wanted to build a warcaster, and I get to have this awesome steam jack come along with me, I feel like I have more tools available to me in the world than let's yeah. say if I was just a gun mage. Yeah. You know I mean? So I'm I, I'm super curious how they're going to handle this. So for the people that don't remember the last version of IKRPG. If you built, there's there's a couple of unique things about it that I, that were slightly problematic, and that was uh, jacks, uh, arcane, mechanica, right, and then alchemy were like three big parts of the book that that your character classes can interact with. So the the jack part, if you make a warcaster you didn't really get a full-on warjack. You didn't get like a Kodiak or like a <laughs> like a Signarin Centurion or something like that. You got like a laborjack that you could kind of build and then maybe as your character advanced in power and had money, you could try to sell it and buy something better. But it was it was hard to start right out with your juggernaut that would just yeah. destroy everything on the board right yeah and then on top of that were all the weird logistics of these things require coal to run and where do you store that and how do you transport your jack into a dungeon so the reality yeah. was if you wanted to make a warcaster you needed a little what a little one that could go with you and you needed like a cart to put it on and you needed to like do all this bookkeeping <laughs> to keep enough fuel yeah so one of the characters in our party, he was an Ordic mercenary who dropped out of the Ordic military, but kept his steam jack. And he had stole crafted, his steam jack. <laughs> yeah, he had crafted weapons on it. Yeah, he had a dubious reputation for gambling, mm. and he wanted to make his way in the in the world. And he uh, he hid it in the back of his shop that he had inherited from his father who had died, and he put it up they put it on a card and they took it with them and uh they didn't get to use it all the time but when they did it was like really overpowered because it would just barrel into a group of enemies and begin knocking everything down and smashing everything yeah. and you're like wow this is crazy it's, 
it's an eight foot tall like even if it's just a light jack it's still an eight foot tall half a ton robot made out of yeah like my character has a pet iron golem that they just unleash on these poor group of goblins or whatever so it, it was really overpowered and so the the penalty is like how do you how do you use it, feel it, and run it right? Yeah, yeah. And uh, I think a lot of people don't want to get together and and role play those logistics because it's not fun. Mm. <laughs> so I'm curious what they're going to do for this version of Fifth Edition D and D. Like, how do you have yeah. a jack and have yeah. it be balanced? And I'm I'm I really want to see what they do because we had to kind of go way out of our way to house rule a lot of stuff. And I even remember at one point in No, no Quarter magazine, they released a whole article on how to how to do that in your campaign because so many people were asking them, yeah. like, uh, this thing says it only has enough fuel for an hour of use. <laughs> what do we what do we do when when the battle takes longer than that and it, and it just turns off and they're like, oh yeah, you're out of luck. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, that's I think. <laughs> I think that's the thing that basically any person that's familiar with or a fan of the Iron Kingdoms and War Machine and the whole world is everyone is waiting to see how they balance the Warcaster. Because at the end of yeah. the day, so many people want to play the Warcaster. Everyone wants yes. to step into, everyone wants to be Striker, everyone wants to be, you know... Uh, yeah, Vlad. you're fun. You get, Vlad, you get Vlad, your power like, armor, you, right? Yeah, you get your sweet power armor, you get like some sort of really awesome melee weapon or gun or something like that, and you just like you're almost unkillable against unless you're yeah, fighting someone it, of equal status. And it, and like, in the in the in the last version, it was just like on the tabletop where you could use your power armor and your focus to, to boost your attacks. So of course, why wouldn't you? And then yeah. You know, your other character next to you who's just like a mercenary with like a with like a gun is like doing yeah. nothing and your warcaster's just like blowing people out of the water. It, yeah. it it's not it's not balanced, right? <laughs> yeah. Even though it is a lot of fun and it and, and people certainly will want to play it. So uh, how that fits into fifth edition, that's a challenge. I yeah. I will I I remain optimistic and yeah. hopeful that it will be translated better this time around. Dan's got a question, and I got and I do too. Oh, I was just going to say is uh, um, on the Warjack side or Steamjack, it's kind of been somewhat answered a little bit. I mean, you have the the minor guys, right? The little Rulik dudes running around, you know. But the uh, Mechanic Shredder from Riot Quest, you just get someone big to crank that guy and let it go, right? No power. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Riot Quest, for breaking Requiem. <laughs> love it. Love it. Well, uh, well, so like you said in the very beginning, um, in third edition, we got introduced to the World of Iron Kingdoms through the Witchfire trilogies. Uh, does that mean that Warcaster was not a playable uh, class in third edition? Have we not seen anything like this before in the in the D twenty system? You know, that's a good question. I don't remember. Um, mm. I want to say it uh, was, but it was restricted. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think it was because I think uh, Nathan, another person in our community, was trying to do a conversion of the original Witchfire trilogy because he has all those books, and he was going through and trying to convert it to Fifth Ed um, before they announced this. And now they announced this, he's like, "Oh, great! I don't have to keep working. I can just stop." 
<laughs> yeah, all, all the original stuff was based on third edition D and D. Yeah, which three is great. Three, you can go look at all the uh, all the people from uh, Menoth were lawful evil, which <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> always always made me laugh. Yeah. The other thing on the topic of the Warcasters that I think some people don't always think about is um, the way the Warcasters kind of work in the world is that they are they're mages. They're mages like a lot of other magic users that there are in the world, except they have this innate, stronger talent for magic and a, a strong talent that is unique to Warcasters to actually be able to connect to and manipulate the cortexes of the steam jacks which not every mage can do and as soon as somebody is found out to have those types of powers they are almost immediately recruited by whatever national military there is and then thrown into strict training so like your warcaster is not always necessarily just some like some mercenary that you can just hire if you've got a bunch of gold like these are strictly very well trained military personnel from a national army like you're yeah. probably you'd be kind of hard pressed to like unless unless you were somebody who basically fled the nation stole a warjack i kind of feel like playing a warcaster in the ik rpg is kind of hard to fit in and make it feel canon yeah unless you're just doing a high level campaign where like half the party are war like mercenary warcasters out on some like end of you know end of days mission or something like that like i i kind of feel like in if i end up running a campaign like warcasters like you better give me a really freaking good reason why a warcaster is out running around with a band of nobodies and not getting paid a bunch of money to be a mercenary in like the steelhead army or some nearby army or something like that. Um, otherwise, like I feel like I'm just not going to include warcasters. And if you, if they encounter somebody that is either a jack marshal or a warcaster, and they're going to have to fight a warjack, it's going to be a big deal because those things have got to be extremely durable and resistant. Yeah. Yeah, oh, it definitely about. makes crafting an adventure for a party that has a warcaster challenging. Yeah, yeah, because you got to make it challenging enough for them, but you don't want the other people in the party to just die instantly because they don't have warcaster armor or yeah, a warjack with like a with like a ten foot wall, like a ten foot tall shield that is just a slab of steel that they just drop in front of any gunfire. Like, yeah. Well, and you got to think you got the warlock side too, so kind of that similar issue. But instead of a steam yeah. jack, you got a beast easier to feed, I guess. You know, yeah. no cold needed there. Just go pick off some sheep. Yeah, just make sure they've got off. meat. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's <laughs> the other thing too with the with requiem. We're not going to see warlocks yet. That is supposed to be coming down in another supplement somewhere down the line, and I almost feel like incorporating them into the world is going to be easier to do than warcasters because similarly they are also frequently picked up by whatever their local like um their local uh militant force nearby and trained and things like that but because of you're you're controlling some sort of living animal it's actually a lot easier to hide that um yeah so and most of the 
beasts are in the uh, Monster Nomicon, right? Or not most, but like yeah, a lot of those. I mean, yeah, every single. Are, they're the, uh, the guys. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we've got uh, the, list the of, Yeah, with the exception of Legion of Everblight, um, almost all of the other creatures or war beasts are found in the natural world. It's just that they've been domesticated and weaponized by the factions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm pretty excited to learn about a few of these things, like the capsule worm. Oh yeah, I've never heard of that thing before. I don't right. think uh, that, that's that. what the the elfin piper mercenary has. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dahlia and Scareth. Scareth is the capsule worm. Yeah. Oh, well, that's yeah. okay. There's the, yeah. I'm learning. <laughs> so here's no, my question another, yeah. about this. This is my second question about this. Um, so I'm, you know, a little familiar with some of the D&D characters that have existed over the years, like Mordekainen and, um, you know, and Volo, like fifth edition has Volo's monster book of monsters, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Xanathar. It, it looks like, say that again. Xanathar. Yeah. Xanathar. Yeah. Xanathar's guide. Yeah, so it looks like in the Monster Manual or Monster Nomicon, um, there's an introduction, Dear Reader, by Victor Pendrake. And yes. so um, I want to know a little bit more about Victor. Uh, he's a solo that I've never used on any of my armies. So yeah. fun, fun thing, world? if you ever get copies of the old Monster Nomicons, they're yeah. from his perspective. And it's really yeah. cool and understated yeah. but if you read through it it's him describing the monsters with fun little anecdotes about how he came to know they exist and it's yeah it's very yeah, he's kind of very clever <laughs> he's kind of like the charles darwin a little bit of explorer yeah. of the of the he's like indiana jones and and yeah. charles darwin or something yeah yeah and if you if you go back to like the beginning of mk3 when they started introducing the cid and they gave us the previews at lock and load of the upcoming um, changes, the the upcoming CIDs that they were doing for all the various factions. And there was that voiceover in the video that was talking about um, that was talking about like troll bloods from the north and the uh, the thorn from certain parts of you know the the Thornwood Forest or something like that. Those were all done from the perspective of Victor Pendrake. Uh, and he has kind of been the guide through um, that they've used as the person who has gone out and seen much of the Iron Kingdoms and has written it all down to share the information about the different monsters and uh, the different nations and things like that. Because he is a mer- he's a minion mercenary model, uh, he travels around and can get you know in and out of borders easily. So that was always yeah. kind of the cool little um, lore thing that they tied in for there being some sort of a common knowledge. I'm sure like you could probably walk into any bookstore in the Iron Kingdoms and find some copy of like uh, Pendrake's Guide to uh, Monsters in the Thornwield or uh, you know the the trolls of the of the northern mountains and stuff like that. Okay. Well, see, I love that. That's, that's a little window into the world that you know that I haven't peered through. I like that. You know, one of the questions we had was, you know, what what classes or races you would like to see in the game. 
And um, and unfortunately, they've already kind of answered that with uh, with the spoilers. Um, so I want to talk about I want to I want to list the races and then get your impression on whether that's a, a good like good group or or you think there's someone that's missing. So we have Gobber, Human, Iosin, Nis, Ogren, Rulik, Dwarf, and Trollkin. Those are the races that that they've listed so far. Um, what do you think of that list? Yeah, full party of gobbers. That's good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be pretty funny. Well, uh, I, just I think it's a pretty good list. Yep. That's what yep. they that's what they had. And then they expanded it later and unleashed with, you know, like Pharaoh and Gators and uh, yeah. Scorn, yeah. things like that. I yeah. think adding Scorn could be cool. Uh, we don't know, of course, what happens post-Henschold yet if people are freely yeah. intermingling. What, what is Scorn's race? Like, they're, Scorn they're, are technically... Yeah. They're technically elves. They used to be. They used to be Iosins, and then when the Cataclysm happened, when the Elven gods got trapped mm. on the mortal planes, when the bridge to the to their realm was destroyed and collapsed, there was this huge Cataclysm uh, to the east, out where the Scorn are from, and they were basically altered through their brutal, harsh environment. So they're technically like desert elf vampire type things, but I think they were, they're originally descended from Iosins, which is part of the reason why there's such bad blood between the two of them. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah, I, I anticipate we'll get more with subsequent releases. I guess yeah. I was just asking about the initial offering, you know? Seems uh, good. Yeah. yeah. I, I think I think that's a great start. That's definitely the the races that you will see for the majority in the Iron Kingdoms, and I'm I'm excited to see. Uh, actually, I'm kind of surprised that Trollkin aren't in there because the Trollkin are fairly commonplace. Oh, he, he said they are. Oh, okay. Yeah. oh, okay. I'm sorry, I missed that. Um, yeah. yeah, and then I imagine when when they do the un, the the equivalent of Unleashed, we'll see Pharaoh Gatorman. Uh, yeah. We'll see Tharn, we'll see the Blightedness, um, and then we'll see the Scorn, um, and then the variations in those in those different factions. Yeah. Yeah, so the, uh, screaming, Hey, Hungerford, yeah. Matt, what are you guys doing? No. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. No, I in, think the, it's a uh, in the Kickstarter, they spoiled two classes. They gave us a couple pages of a gun mage mm -hmm. and then the warcaster. Yeah. Um, they gave us the, um, I'm guessing this is the themes that, um, that you can take in 5e. Um, pirate crew is one of the themes you okay. can take. And being a member of pi pirate crew. And then, and then there's uh, some quirks there, uh, which is cool. Um, I love tables myself. And so I always... Whenever there's a table, I'm always going to do a random choice because that's <laughs> old school like that, I guess. And then they even gave us a snapshot of some of the spells. And so we have we got one page of spells. So Cloak of Fear, Compelled Obedience, Conceal Cortex. That's a first Ooh. level spell you could take. That's an illusion spell. Uh, Dark Fire, Day Spring, Devil Stung, and Divine Sight. 
they, they actually gave us a nice spattering of, of things to look forward to. Um, what you guys get a chance to look at any of those in the, in the Kickstarter? Uh, no, I didn't. Bit. I was, kind of, I was kind of, where, where are those so that I can take a look those at those in, uh, in the posts. So they would do random posts and they would include images. So I just downloaded okay. them, them so I can look, so I can read them. Cause is it I in like, the comments section? Um, no, it's so the updates or whatever. You know, updates. Update. That's where yeah. it is. Yeah. But so, uh, the other thing is, uh, all the read them all to find one of the updates uh, that are actually had two parts where um, they ran through a, a scenario or mission essentially. Right. So you got a couple spoilers there too. Like the uh, Trollkin fell collar was being ran. Um, you, oh, had, uh, you had a human gun mage being ran in there, a gobber, like alchemist type guy that was like, yeah, mixing explosive potions real quick. So they kind of showed some of the other classes and stuff there too as well. And they're fighting a band yeah. of Pharaoh and stuff like cool. that. So yeah, I'm sure we'll probably see some of those wild races like Pharaoh and Gatorman and probably Tharn <laughs> and the Monster Nomicon, and then they'll become playable races when they do unleashed. But uh, I don't Pharaoh remember the new Cobalt. Was that possibly? Is that our are Pharaoh going to be the new Cobalt? No, they're yeah. kind of like dwarfs. Yeah. Yeah. Either that or poor gobbers are um, just going to get slaughtered by the Pharaoh. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I know that at one point last year, um, when they first announced the IK RPG, or shortly after that, there was um, there was a podcast that Privateer Press had done where Will Hungerford and Oz Schoonover went over um, basically they did a brief synopsis of all of the new subclass options that were coming in the IK RPG for every single Quite one of the different, uh, I think it was almost, I think it was all of them. Um, so definitely go back and check that out. Um, anyone that is interested in hearing some more stuff. One of the things that was in there that I was super interested in is I think it's a, I think it's a subclass for the Ranger. There's a bounty hunter option, which is really cool, which gives yep. you ranger. Uh, certain bonuses when you're tracking. But I think there was another ranger subclass that is the mage hunter yep. um, that I think is specifically Iosin. Uh, but that was always, uh, ever since like I kind of heard about them, I've played with the idea of making that myself in 5th Ed. Uh, and the fact that they're turning it into a real um, subclass section, I think is really cool. And I'm interested to see um how that works out i think it'd be yeah. a really really interesting character dynamic especially if they were traveling in the party with a magic user that wasn't iosin i think that could make for some really interesting <laughs> character tension uh or as potentially a bad guy that's chasing after the the hero party is that maybe yeah. maybe one of the mages like was being a little too reckless or something like that. And it, it caught wind of a, they caught wind of a, um, a mage hunter got sent after them or something. Yeah. I'm, yeah, uh, it's funny. I, I'm enjoying, uh, playing a paladin right now. Um, I've never ever played protectorate in, you know, in war machine. <laughs> and so I'm looking at this list of, of, of classes and I'm wondering what I would choose to play. Um, I would probably just have to go with Warcaster by default uh, for the first time. <laughs> Boo, boring, <laughs> boring. 
pick up some cool. We got two spoilers from the Monster Nomicon. We've got the uh, Menite Archon and the Winter Troll. That's an odd selection to spoil. <laughs> yeah. <Iron Knight. laughs> you you open the door in the dungeon and two Menite Archons are guarding a treasure chest. <laughs> yeah. We're not going to see that at level one, are we? No, no, it's like a no. weird tendency in in D and D properties to produce extremely overpowered monster entries that like never get used. Yeah, yeah, I have never understood I mean, that. You, I mean, you could use them in a high level. Like they, I think the Menite Archon is like it's it's super high CR. I think it's like CR eighteen or something like that. Yeah. It's really yeah. difficult to deal with, and it it feels like. It's one of those things that is like end game, uh, yes. like final boss fight of you know something, some huge battle taking place is gonna yeah. is gonna yeah. pull the archons in. Um, yeah. Well, if you want I a mean, boss fight, slaughterhouse got revealed too. <laughs> or yeah. They're putting the slaughterhouse in the mall. Because <laughs> yeah. they couldn't just they couldn't just do regular mimics. They had to put the the house mimic. Yeah. In the, <laughs> in the That's a boss battle. This haunted house out in the woods that eats people. What? That can't be right. Oh God, it's a slaughterhouse. Oh God, it's chasing us. I think yeah, let's, Grim... let's negotiate with it. Maybe it maybe it wants something. Yeah. I think seeing the entries for the Grimkin in the in the Monster Nomicon, if they're in there, are gonna be a really cool and really interesting inclusion. And yeah. putting like Hollow Men, like if they're traveling through the forest, like you somebody encounters some hollow men or some uh dread rots that recently yep. came through and claimed through like a small yep. town or something yep. like that. Whole, I think I think those Gorehound. Yeah. Yeah. Piggy Glimmer piggybacks. I think those are gonna be a really, really fun and interesting tool to use in your campaigns. Uh, if they're in the in the Monster Nomicon as a way yeah. to really yeah. do some interest, yeah, I, I really I really hope that they are, or maybe they'll be in a in a second Monster Nomicon coming, yeah. you know, shortly after whenever uh, like Unleashed comes out. Well, this list is incomplete too because there's like no yeah. page numbers and stuff. So yeah. I'm I'm pretty sure that there's a lot of things they haven't revealed. I think it'll be good I'm to sure. say. They'll have a. I'm sure they'll have a, a range of low to high level. Yeah. Um, yeah. I sure hope so because a lot of the low to mid stuff is as a game master can often be a lot more valuable than a couple of high end bosses. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, they showed uh, the Howler challenge rating six. Um, they revealed yeah. all the Howler stats. So I mean, yeah. But, yeah, well, what's the what's the challenge rating on the uh, on the winter troll? Nine. Okay. Yeah. I also so, saw. Um, I had also seen the stats for the Gnarlhorn Seder at one point two that they someone had shared, and the rules for that. Yeah. Um, that was kind of interesting. So I'm going to make a projection. I don't. I don't know when this is going to drop. Because um, I know that they've done a significant amount of work already, but like, uh, if we're still in this like pandemic era, uh, there's going to be a lot of IK uh, Requiem being played on Roll Twenty or online 
That's yeah. my projection. I, th I think a lot of us are going to play more role play than actual tabletop yeah, for, for, for a season. I believe it's projected to ship in September. Yeah. Um, but we'll see if that gets bumped. I, I hope that they don't rush it because I yeah. would love to see this be a nice, really I don't want good. it to just, I don't want it to just get pushed out the door just because the Kickstarter did really good. I want a really, really solid quality supplement uh, to be able to run campaigns. Yeah. I don't want to see it get pushed out the door and a bunch of stuff not get balanced right. And I really hope that they that they take their time and 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 really hit the nail on the head. Yeah. It's really I interesting. Is, yeah. If they put like more lore into it, if they put more, you know, flesh it out a little bit more. Um, it'd be kind of cool too if they uh, would take some stories of maybe campaigns campaigns being ran and uh, use those as inspiration for even more like lore past Henschold because they've done similar right with the uh, lock and load where hey you guys play out this game and then that will kind of dictate what things happen right yeah mm -hmm. but, lock yeah. and load twenty twenty two baby yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No sleep, um, no sleep that whole weekend. <laughs> uh, Perry, I wanted to ask your opinion about something. Um, so with the Kickstarter, they're doing the main core book, they're doing the Monster Nomicon, and then they're also doing the um, the Witchfire trilogy. Shoot, what was it called? The Legend of the Witchfire trilogy um, adventure. Uh, but I saw that the adventure is for level one to four. What, how do you kind of feel about that? I think that's a good place to start. I think, uh, I think it'll be tempting to a lot of people will want to get powerful characters to like recreate, you know, their heroes and things like that. But, uh, I don't know, there's a certain um joy in having a low level character grow in power, and uh, I think a low level adventure is a good way to get people into the game. And I think Privateer Press, knowing that 5th edition has such a wide audience, has that on their mind. And that they want uh, low-level adventure play possible so that you can kind of grow into more powerful characters. Um, I am hoping that within the books that they release that there will be a generous portion on how to game master in this particular world. I think that it, if you didn't know much about the lore, it would be intimidating to pick up a lot of this. Yeah. So that's, so I, so I hope that that adventure has enough of that background in it. Yeah. I'm, I I'm a little, that was, that was the one adventure. That was the adventure book, the $30 yeah. book. Uh, yeah. Okay. Uh, I'm, I'm slightly disappointed that it's a, that it's a one to four. It's like the starting adventure out the gate with, with basically this entire universe kicking off with the original Witchfire trilogy and with how long and how prominent Alexia has been in the lore throughout the years. Um, it just, it, the resolution of what's going on with the Witchfire blade feels like it should be a little bit bigger than for a group of level four characters. I would say um, just give it a chance and see what they put together. I, yeah. I yeah. think 
I think yeah, their not... goal is to pull people in, and yeah. and they gotta they gotta yeah. dip the, you gotta dip your toe in, right? Let, yeah. let me let me bring this idea to the table too. Um, through the breach is uh, the role playing game associated with Malifaux and the other side, and and what through the breach does to advance their story is they release paperback, um, like basically campaign books, and each book has four, like. Uh, things in it, like three like story arcs in it at a time. And so and so if you if you were a DM or if you were running your 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 you know your crew through you know through the all of these things, you know, you would be advancing as the story goes on. And so maybe they're doing smaller pieces like that. Maybe that's the thing they could do. Um, I could see that selling pretty good. You know, other things they can do is uh, they have uh, Fifth Ed has has uh, what do they have their their weekly thing that they used to I can't remember what it's called because it's Adventures been so long. League. Yeah, Adventures League. Yeah. yeah, they could they could also advance the story through Adventure League setting stuff, mm-hmm. and so that's another way of doing doing that too. So um, yeah, there's just, there's also just sort of the concept of like a lot of. Uh, tools that are out there, like Roll Twenty, is super popular. Yeah, and it has a lot of mechanics for D and D in it already that will be able to be used with this framework. Uh, I use Fantasy Grounds, which is a, a more advanced tool, and it has D and D Fifth Edition framework rules in the program, and so this world will fit into that because they're using Fifth Edition. That's all, like a big, huge bonus that the previous edition just did not have. And it's going to allow yeah. many more people to just, like I kind of said at the beginning of just ease of ease of access to play this game, your, the, the obstacles in front of you to play this game, the understanding and the tools and the rules and all that, like it's, it's getting lowered. So it's easier to just try it out. Right. Yeah. It's all, it's all good. Yeah. I, I think so. I think I want to, I want to end on that statement. I like that. Yeah. Why don't we? Um, we're getting close to the time, so why don't we move over to the hobby desk? Um, I anticipate we're going to talk about this a lot more, especially when we get closer to the release date and then when it drops. Um, anyway, yeah. but what's on your hobby desk, gentlemen? What are you building? What are you painting? Uh, currently, I finished up my uh, King's Empire painting, um, so that's cool. I'm uh, working on basing right now. I've got four more trays to get my basic basing on and then uh, I'll clear coat it and then add some shrubbery or some bushes, stuff like that. Um, and then, yeah, I'll have, uh, I'll have my whole, the other side army ready to go sometime. But, nice. Very nice. Um, I'm taking a little break from my Ray quest stuff. Um, I painted my Lord of Virulence. Uh, for Death Guard that just came out recently, and I've got my six Plague Marines from the Space Marines Heroes uh, Series 3, which are six unique Plague Marine models that I'm working on. Uh, and then I just got done assembling and doing some magnetizing on the new uh, Primaris uh, Storm Strike Speeder, I think is what it is. I think is what the base is um, that I'm going to be using for Dark Angels Army. Uh, get that painted eventually, but um, nice, yeah, nice. I've got two things kind of going on. 
Uh, one, I'm trying to figure out how to do Turbo Dork. And so I'm using Turbo Dork on some Battletech models right now. And um, I'm learning a lot in the process. Uh, I'm trying to do exactly what they say with the black undercoat and everything. Um, it didn't turn out, the first one didn't turn out the way that I thought it was going to turn out. So I'm on my second model now and uh, just being and being very meticulous because this one, there's some detail that I want to make sure I highlight in the process. But um, but painting is kind of slow right now because I'm in the middle of this like mass reorg of my hobby space because I got uh, some games workshops shelves. And so I got to like move things around now and get organized so I can <laughs> find stuff. Um, which is fine. I, I like to clean when I get stressed. And so it helps me think about things, but, um, uh, so, uh, hopefully I'll, that, that'll be done soon. And then, and then life will return a little bit normal rhythm for me. How about you, Perry? Oh man. Uh, I, uh, I painted a ton of war machine last year on the quarantine. I painted a whole army of, uh, retribution for my wife. And then I painted, uh, everything in infernals <laughs> haven't played a single game of it they look great in the display case uh so I, I took a pause on war machine stuff and uh uh i blame our local friend jeff for getting me back into 40k uh, so i i picked up uh some blood angels and some some dark eldar uh and i've been painting blood angels i've got quite a bit done i'm working on 20 um intercessors right now at once and i'm almost finished and then uh i told myself once i got all the troops out of the way i would treat myself to some some of the unique characters and vehicles and things like that but uh it's been it's been fun switching it up and uh painting some sci-fi after doing a lot of uh privateer press stuff over the last several years nice nice well uh this would be a good reminder for everyone who listens to our show that on our discord server we host a paint party every Thursday night at uh, eight o'clock Pacific Standard Time, and so you are welcome to join us. Uh, what we do is we just uh, we log in and uh, we just paint and talk to each other while we do it. And a lot of times we try to find something interesting to talk about. So if you're if you're one of our listeners and you're not part of the Discord server, uh, check the link in the show notes to join. We have a lot of engaging conversations that take place uh, kind of on the regular there. And uh, we have a good group of uh, hobbyists and gamers, uh, and we talk about all all the things. So um, another way you can support is just by telling people um, about our show. Uh, that would uh, do us a great, uh, great deal. So thank you, everyone, for listening, and thank you for Perry for joining us today. Yeah, and, thanks for having me on. It's great hearing from you guys. It's been a while, so it's, uh, yeah. it's nice. Yeah, and uh, join us in about two weeks for the next episode. So yeah, I'd love bye, to. everyone.
Thank you.